0: Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today in the show, I have Dmitry Damidov, CEO of Modern Treasury. Modern Treasury is a payments architecture system that specifically focuses not just on payments, but also on payment automation. I brought him on the show to talk about how it is that they are basically differentiating themselves and automating payment automation within this space. And with that, here's my interview with Dmitry. Dmitry, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So Dmitry Damidov, tell us about Modern Treasury.
1: Modern Treasury is a payment operations software company. We started the company in 2018 to really help companies that move money as a core part of their product or service, automate this, integrate with the bank, and move money with confidence, knowing that everything can be reconciled, taken care of, books can be closed, and so on uh, safely and in a way that is easy to scale. And so a lot of our companies that are using Modern Treasury today really are uh, somehow moving money as a core part of their product and using modern treasury to make it very simple and easy for their for their teams.
0: So there's a lot of different functionality around automation you just mentioned. So we're gonna come back and unpack all that. But before we start, let's dive into what it is you were trying to accomplish in the first place? Like, what was the origin of modern treasury?
1: So, the origin of modern treasury really started in 2015 when my two co founders, Matt and Sam, and myself really started working at Lending Home, an online mortgage company based in San Francisco. And as part of that, we had to send out wires to fund mortgages. We had to initiate ACH debits to collect the monthly payment. We had the capital markets and investor side of things where uh, funds would go and, and have to be put in the right account and and maybe reinvested or maybe withdrawn or things like that. And really scaling that up quite a bit, uh, Letting Home's now the number one fix and flip lender in the U.S., brought us into seeing this problem in a very firsthand way. And we didn't see very good products that would have helped us uh, had Letting Home been in the market for new solutions. And so back in 2017, 18, we started spending a lot of time at other companies that had this, trying to figure out how they solve it. And really, a lot of them had internal teams, engineering teams, product teams, teams uh, called the payments team or the money team or some version of a name like that. And they were really building something fairly similar and fairly generic and not core to the business of the companies that they were at. So we started working on a software product, and that led to Modern Treasury. We found the company in 2018 and went through Y Combinator, eventually raised a Series A, and uh, and have been growing ever since. So it really came out of a firsthand problem that we had.
0: Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the online payment space has been at least for the the collection part has been largely solved for quite a while now. But there's so much more that goes into it beyond just collecting that money. And you live that pain. And of course, ask, isn't there a better way and found the way to build build a better way? So to me, I mean, off the bat, it sounds like the differentiation between you and and the basic stripes of the world is it goes, you go far beyond just the transaction part of it. You go well down the value chain of what has to happen after the fact. Is that a, a fair summarization?
1: Yeah, I think if you zoom out and you look at what has actually been happening with the web economy, if you will, is that it's it's been penetrating and, and messing with different sectors of the economy. So if you go back 20 years ago, sort of the overarching commercial problem of the internet was how do you accept a credit card? And when you think about companies of the 2000s, things like Amazon, Netflix, Expedia, it was really about how do you accept a, a credit card transaction online in a form and people used to be afraid of putting in that credit card number and that was something that people had to overcome from a behavior perspective and companies had to build infrastructure around of course companies many companies have been built uh, around this infrastructure and i think that as come as the internet economy has started interacting with other sectors uh, sectors like real estate and healthcare and payroll and and um, financial services things that really don't operate primarily over credit card things that primarily in the in the, at least the us domestic context really operate over ach wire even paper check and those that infrastructure did not quite exist for internet companies that needed some sort of API access into a bank account to initiate a wire. And so, just as an example, to use Lending Home again, when we needed to, you know, approve something and initiate a wire for a mortgage for, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars there wasn't a set of companies that would really make that a lot easier. There was just direct bank integrations that have been done before. It wasn't necessarily a brand new thing or, or a rocket science thing, but it was definitely something that was non-trivial to go and put in place. And so I think if you zoom out and, and kind of think about sort of the why now, why is this something that, why are we experiencing a tailwind with companies actually approaching this? It is I think it is because the internet is messing with new parts of the economy that it hasn't messed with before. And as a lot of these companies building their product, really building ACH kind of infrastructure or wire infrastructure is not core to what they're trying to put in the market, like to bring into the world. And so as they go and pursue their sort of dent in the universe, to use a Steve Jobs word, this is just infrastructure. This is just something they have to get out of the way. And uh, we hope to provide that. That makes a lot of
0: sense. I mean, you know, the initial problem of the internet, as you said before, was with a credit card perspective, it was more so I need to sell something, right? It was I'm selling access to something or subscriptions to something or physical products. And, you know, to move that onto ongoing kind of relationships, like you talked about with some of the sectors you talked about, you know, no one's going to put that on a credit card because frankly, they're not going to want to pay the credit card fees of that so the traditional methodologies for transferring money are definitely the preferential vehicle however you're right you know no one wants to (laughs) credit cards were solved everything else had to be solved and no one wants to have to worry about doing that while they're trying to build the widget that does something else so um, makes a lot of sense so talk to me about, okay, the payment processing is one thing. So you connected the ACH systems and all that, and the wires and physical checks, just painful, but sure. So you, you get that part down, but talk to me about the downstream services that you provide as part of, of what you do beyond the transaction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the, making the transaction happen is the first problem companies encounter as they, or teams encounter as they build the product. But then if it works, then it actually creates a lot of other problems. Because if the company works, if the product like, takes off, all of a sudden, there are lots and lots of transactions that are now flying around and they need to be taken care of. And there's different teams that engage with that transaction set of data, if you will, after the fact. So. There are people in customer service who might be answering a question. So think of some marketplace might get a phone call uh, or an email inquiry from a customer who says this payment didn't arrive on time or I'm missing my payment or it was for the wrong amount or any of those types of questions. You know, what is the customer service rep on the phone actually looking at to ascertain whether that is correct, whether there's actually something that is a problem, whether there's a refund that needs to be made? They need to be able to log into something and that something has to be connected to the bank infrastructure ultimately because you need to be able to know hey is this payment en route or is it failed somehow things like that are become uh, kind of a daily customer service problem for companies that operating at scale of course there's the finance part there's sort of payment ops day-to-day problems around you know controllers who might want to like block or stop certain payments before they go out if they're uh, larger than a certain amount or if they're associated with a new product or or what have you and there's more end of month, let's say, finance and accounting type of questions that are really much more about how do I close the books? How do I make sure that I can have a good reporting for the company, for the investor base, et cetera? So there's lots of people who downstream from a payment happening interact with it. And historically, there has been many different systems that uh, people interface with. So obviously, there's things like you know some sort of Excel or Google Sheets or, or what have you that might be the the day-to-day thing that some companies might operate out of. There's the bank portal that has things and in, oftentimes in, in PDFs and other, other formats that are difficult to kind of access and, and reconcile and connect. And then of course, there's ERP systems, there's uh, QuickBooks and NetSuite and accounting systems, there's customer service systems. So all of these things become uh, pretty siloed. And a big part of making this easy is really to hold on to the context of a payment from the moment that it started or is initiated all the way through to its uh, final resting place in the general ledger. And there's really different Product experiences and workflows that need to happen there. Yeah,
0: I think it's really for anyone who doesn't live through it, it's really difficult to, to kind of wrap their head around just the explosion and scale that is. I mean, for for small companies, processing payment reconciliation within QuickBooks or, or Zero, no big deal, right? You get that accounting feed and, and you basically match things and you hit okay. But you know, if you're processing several hundred transactions per day on, you know, multiple ongoing projects, for instance, or multiple ongoing cases. And as you said, you know, you have your controls over over amounts that come in and you have your data that's coming in from set statements, which is, you know, PDF data that needs to then be scrubbed, that needs to then be converted to then be reconciled there's a reason why entire accounting departments exist. And it's it's this heavy lifting of work. So talk to me about these specific verticals in the marketplace that you seem to be getting a lot of traction in.
1: Yeah. We, as a product, we're pretty horizontal. So we really are not focused on a specific vertical necessarily, but uh, there are certain verticals in the economy that just need this more. And so you can think about, you can think of almost think of them as the industries that are more paper-based tend to be more ACH-wire-reliant. Uh, and so companies that are innovating in things like real estate, whether it's paying out agent fees, title and escrow, buying homes, property management, collecting rent, things like that are a big sector for us. I think One version of that is also all things around financial services and asset management, where again, there's a lot of wires coming in and out, deposits, withdrawals, book transfers, internal transfers as investments happen. And this can be either funds, it can be fund custodians, it can be automated stock purchasing, you know, crypto, things like that. Again, there's a lot of fiat transactions in every crypto exchange as people deposit and withdraw. And then in the US context, healthcare is another big one where healthcare insurance tends to be not something you pay for with credit cards. So there's a lot of both internal, you know, reserve accounts, people kind of separating your dental contribution from your medical contribution, things like that and then eventually uh, sending that out to to the to the doctor. So they're pretty large industries. Payroll is another one that is moving massive amounts of money and needs automation, needs good reconciliation, needs to be able to keep track of contributions to different pension schemes and tax agencies and, and things like that. So whenever we see sort of a complicated spaghetti diagram, that starts suggesting that there's a really need for some some automation and some tracking.
0: You no, it's funny. Could you have named, was there any highly regulated industry you missed out of curiosity? I think you missed, I think you missed defense, right? Like that, that's a lot of Aut- automotive, <laughs> automotive, like you taught, you named some, you know, some really heavily regulated industries right there. And so, which begs the question of, of how much of a role do you play in their compliance? Or is that something handled by the other systems once the payment has been processed?
1: So we're a software product, we're not in the flow of funds. And so every one of our customers has a bank that they choose to work with and we support a a, a large number of banks. And so from a compliance perspective, really comes down to the business of the company is actually building and uh, the actions that they're doing you know there's a conversation between them and the bank that that happens usually at the outset when they're setting up their accounts so certainly we we help them provide better information better visibility alerting things like that but we are very focused on providing the best software experience and I think there's enough enough complexity in that so yeah, I'd say there's definitely a lot of complexity in that. I mean, how much
0: I've heard estimates of how much of uh, back office time is spent in terms of just basic reconciliation, and that number sometimes creeps up towards thirty percent of the labor cost. You know, if you're automating a bunch of that, that's going to be massive savings. So, give me a real life use case for, for you in mind, something that you know came in and there was a dramatic amount of com- complexity. Someone who really benefited from the besides the payment piece, the all the downstream processing that you can help with.
1: Sure, I can talk about our very first customer, as a company that's grown quite a bit from when they first signed up. The company is called Sana Benefits. They're based in Austin, Texas. It's a health insurance and benefits company, so they provide health insurance and benefits to SMBs and mid-market companies. Now, what that means from a payment perspective is that they receive funds every two weeks whenever payroll runs. They receive the sum total of the contributions that goes towards health insurance, and then they have to take that those funds, separate them between different accounts hold them for however long they, you know, hold them for until the person might go to the doctor and actually they need to send out a payment for that. So they have a number of accounts that are, they're managing, they're managing book transfers between them. They're They're keeping track of balances and and things like that. And they have to make sure they report on that correctly to themselves, to investors, to regulators, etc. So that's an example of a company that um, every transfer in their system really happens using modern treasury software, using modern treasury APIs. They own the business logic and it's their business, but they really built their company on top of our product. And so it's very, very exciting to watch them grow and prosper and not have to build a whole department, as you mentioned, that is focused on reconciliation because the software sort of does that for them. And uh, they can just go focus on the stuff that is, that's really core to their business. Yeah.
0: I mean, the speed at which they can grow is substantially greater because they're not having to build that entire entire department. I mean, it's one of the great things about all so many of these service technologies that we see for businesses is that the number of people that it would have taken to do all this stuff allows us to, move so much faster in the startup realm. So works great. So talk to me though, this is where you are today. Talk to me about where you see this going. What's on the roadmap for areas that you th- feel you can innovate in the space?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of places that we can innovate in the space. I think our challenge is really uh, how do we remain focused and make sure that we're delivering the kind of uh, product and service uh, that our customers really uh, want and expect. So I think There is a big part of true productivity that I think we almost sometimes uh, lose now because there's so much software that we're using, but there's areas where it hasn't really been touched by software in some ways, and I think this is one of them. So there's a lot of ways that we can deliver much better Experiences. I think it starts from how does a company actually engage and open and get started with bank accounts that kind of power their business. And there's a lot of compliance things, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of bank decisions that they make that live with them for a long time and we can help them really get started easily with that. If the modern treasury sandbox is already connected and we can keep track and start reporting on things, we can essentially have a lot of these value props sort of built in and ready to go from day one, which as anybody who's ever gone through an audit, you might know how difficult and complicated it is to deal with any sort of discontinuous change when you go through an audit and all of a sudden you have, well, we did this way until May and then June we start doing this other way. And all of a sudden that becomes really complicated. So we, we hope to provide better data tracking, better process, better workflow for that. And then really every T, uh, that we engage with we find some new kind of feature requests some new use case where different types of users are actually engaging with the system and it's very exciting one of the things that I'm always excited to see is when a large percentage of the of the staff of a company that we're working with actually has you know weekly active accounts uh, or monthly active accounts and they're and they're using the system for something they're doing it could be really a daily process that they're doing and hopefully we can automate some of those and they don't have to come back every day but there could also be you know a one off sort of investigation whenever something strange and unexpected happens and again we can we can provide alerting and we we'll provide things around that so i think it's something that as the complexity grows of both bank connections that we support uh, as we go more international as we get into more payment types and things like that the true you know information science problem becomes in some ways more interesting, but obviously operating that at large scale um, has its own challenges. So what I think is really exciting is that we can hopefully one day get to a point where you can start a business and similar to AWS, meaning that you don't have to think about a lot of the kind of how does the data center actually work and how do you cool your servers and all these things that people used to actually think about and now you don't have to think about. There's a version of that in the financial kind of realm of things that people really shouldn't think about, like how long does it take to reconcile an ACH is not something that actually helps you run a health insurance company, but it's a very central question to, to flows of funds and things like that. And there's new payment types like you know, real-time payments uh, that are coming to the US that we're very excited about, that will be more 24-7, they'll be more instant, but they necessitate more software. And so we see, we see a big opportunity in helping companies really transition into that. Yes,
0: kids will never understand the struggle. You know, when they when they actually get old enough to build companies, they'll be like, "What do you mean you used to stand up servers? What do you mean you had to do all this stuff manually?" Like I just get to build the widget and monetize it, and that's it. I mean, we already see that in, in simple companies that you know, simple retail companies that use the Shopify to basically handle just about every other aspect of the business. But for those of us who, or for businesses that don't fall into that small that part of the universe uh, that level of turnkey management is is just not there but going back to your comment about seeing people log in on a regular basis so you're telling me that you know your your customer support people or your your customer success people will basically call up your vendors and be like so i noticed you're logging in a lot what's wrong <laughs> is that is that kind of the
1: interaction you're having to kind of discover where the or uh, the pain point is we're not watching specific accounts or anything like that it's more just understanding what is the level of usage so as any any anyone who's in the product management realm really uh, is asking themselves how are companies and, and, and individuals really using this product? So I think that if software, magical software is not something you have to use all the time. It kind of does work for you. So I don't know if the KPI really should be, hey, we got it to you know sign in every single day for eight hours. Like that, that probably does not mean that our product is that great. But at the same time, I think there is uh there is a signal there, which is hey, that people are finding it useful. Maybe some of those problems that they're coming to you with can be resolved in a faster way, but they do find it useful. They do find it the place to be where where a lot of the information lives. Uh, and I think that's really important. And that's kind of square one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's an interesting way of thinking that you have to basically work to make your software not touched. But frankly, when it comes to infrastructure plays, which is essentially what you are, that's sort of, that's exactly what we want. We, we want people to not worry about about how the pipes get the water from point A to point B. So that makes a lot of sense. So uh, before we wrap up, there's three questions that I ask everyone, just on a positive note. The first one for you is if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Stumps everyone. So take a moment if you need to.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think um, I think I have a good answer to it, which is we're very domestically focused in the U.S. today, and I think that the biggest thing that I think would make a, just an enormous difference is the broad adoption of real-time payments and FedNow and those types of instant transfers, because just a lot of the problems that companies are facing today are you know stem from that issue that we're using 50-year-old technology for the core payment processing pieces of uh, of the banking system. So if there's one thing that I I wish uh, existed. It's that every bank account was uh, instantly sort of connected to RTP or or FedNow or something like that. Yeah,
0: open banking is a popular topic on this podcast and a point of contention. But yes, real time payments it is. It never ceases to amaze me or or frustrate anyone that anytime you get told you need to wait x number of days for something to clear, you're just like, what year is this? I mean, I can. Go on Amazon now and have almost anything delivered, you know, same day. Yet, meanwhile, you're taking me. You tell me you need to wait five business days to process this transaction, and certain transactions don't process over weekends because those servers, those COBOL servers, don't work on weekends. <laughs> it's like it's just, it's it's laughable, laughably pre- preposterous. And I often say that I'm pretty sure the people 50 years ago who programmed this stuff never dreamt that we would be working on it still. And actually, I think we're being generous. I think we we should probably be saying 60 to 70 years now, but it is what it is. Uh, common refrain, open banking and real-time payments. Second uh, question for you is, what's been the biggest challenge, again, in the company to where it is today?
1: You know, I think starting an infrastructure company, this is not specifically the financial any, uh, infrastructure, but just in general, I think any infrastructure product is something that, by definition, is very critical to some, to a company's operations. And so when you have something that is pretty critical, companies tend not to want to buy that from a startup that scares them and maybe for good reason. And so I think that the hardest, thing for us has been really getting started uh, kind of buying, buying that trust and earning that trust and preserving that trust as we scale up our own operations. And this has implications from an engineering perspective, scalability, reliability, things like that. It has implications in terms of brand and um, how we, how we talk about the company, how we put out certain types of content partnerships that we have with larger players that help us draft off to some degree of from their reputation and their brands. So trust is very, very central to all things financial, but I think in infrastructure, it's doubly so.
0: Yeah, as uh, as anyone who started a business knows, um, you know the old "Oh, I'll use you if you survive," you know, x number of years, or I'll wait until you're a little bit mature and you're sitting there going, "Like, but that's a chicken and egg scenario." Because if you just gave me the business, the probability of me being around would be a lot. would <laughs> be greater. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, but I would say I got to think you're right. And in, in the infrastructure space, it's got to be just infinitely more important to people, given the fact that like you know you get to this is not something you want to think about. You want to set it up once and leave it be. So last question for you, and that is, what is it that gets you up in the morning and it keeps you excited to keep on fighting the good fight?
1: I actually have two answers to it. I mean, one is when you're growing a company, just growing the team and 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 um, having amazing new people join uh, the company always has, uh, you know, a lot of good energy that comes with that. But the other one is our customers. I mean, watching our customers grow means that their business is doing better, whatever Whatever they're trying to bring into the world, our business in some ways is pegged to them, you know, doing well. And so that's really uh, exciting and kind of invigorating to to watch innovation happen in in apparel, and real estate, and healthcare, and education. In some of the sectors of the economy that I think as society we care about the most and yet in some and in many cases I've seen the least innovation. So if we can move the you know the balance a little bit in favor of innovation in those types of industries, that's super exciting. And so I can go on about different specific, you know, examples in every in every industry, but it is something that uh, we just see on a daily basis. And it's fascinating and it's exciting. And I think that it keeps us keeps us really focused on making sure that our product is delivering for them.
0: And I get it. I mean you you're the ones who help enable you know, some of the more revolutionary vendors out there to to do what it is they do. So uh, infrastructure is not something that basically gets uh, praises sung about it necessarily, but it's definitely something that if it's not there working, you notice it very quickly. So yeah, absolutely. So Dimitri, I want to thank you for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. And uh, anyone who's looking for this kind of service in the US, I highly encourage you to check it out. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And thank you for tuning in today. As always, this has been FinTech Impact. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever is it your podcast. Until next time, take care.
1: This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at JasonPereira.ca.